Welcome to Econoday Unplugged. Each week, our expert team explains the relationship between economic announcements and market reaction. For over 25 years, Econoday has provided value for the investment industry, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Econoday provides solutions for macroeconomics, sovereign debt, agricultural commodities and historical data, all delivered via API, XML and HTML. Connect the dots with Econoday. Subscribe to the Econoday Unplugged podcast and go to www.econoday.com to follow market events. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Wednesday, the 27th of March 2019. Mark Pender is in the US, ranked 19th in the 7th edition of the World Happiness Report released just last week. Is and that I'm me? Jeremy Hawk. Is yes. that me or the, or the US? This is you. You are now wow. ranked. Wow. I, I knew I was happy, but... 19th, oh, this is you. You are representing the US, of course. Oh, okay. 19th in the World Happiness Report. Um, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in the UK, and we're ranked four places higher at a lofty 15th, although presumably poised to nosedive in the wake of the ongoing Brexit chaos. Okay, so then, what do we got? Well, last week we saw UK Parliament in virtual meltdown as everyone blamed everybody else for the failure to sort out Brexit, which, of course, was supposed to happen this Friday, but now won't. Stateside, the Fed has apparently completed a remarkably quick dovish U-turn, and there's plenty of red ink about, too, as US government borrowing hit a new record high in February, and the fourth quarter current account deficit was the largest in a decade. So, Mark Pender, does this mean that the next move in Fed funds could be down and should we be worried about all this borrowing uh you know the bar well, well let's first talk about the uh rate outlook um i you know it's too, it's too close to call right now if the uh indicators go as they've been trending then i think it is more likely that we would have a rate cut than a rate hike uh but I think that is well down the road. The Fed said last week that it, it's not going to raise rates this year. Um, but, you know, you have to take that a little, even though they're very unlikely to raise rates, you have to take or change rates. You have to take all that with a grain of salt, I think, because of the, um, you know, uh, we're still at the beginning of the year and events can change so quickly. And, of course, you have the exogenous risk, uh, especially of of Brexit. Um, whether or not the Treasury budget is uh, uh, the government deficit or, or the country's uh, current account deficit, which is the, includes the trade deficit, um, uh, is a an immediate risk. It's hard. Uh, it apparently is not, even though we had a, the Treasury budget is a whopping uh, five months in the fiscal year came out last Friday, $544.2 billion. That's only five months. Um, and that's uh, uh, 39% deeper than the, than the same period uh, last year. And if you look at the uh, at the graph, it is it is uh, uh, really a a, uh, a large uh, increase in the deficit. And what that is going to do that will limit the the government's ability to our fiscal ability to uh, stimulate the economy if we need to. And that is one reason. Uh, why the Fed uh, is uh, seeing a little bit of a slowing uh, for this year. The trade deficit, we had number uh, out this morning, and it actually came in a little bit better than, ex- actually substantially better than expected, And uh, but that was against a very deep deficit in uh, December. 
Um, so actually, the outlook right now for the first quarter looks a little bit positive. It was still $51.1 billion. You're talking about all this massive amount of money flowing out of the uh, out of the United States. It's pretty incredible. But that seems to have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what uh, how it's been done here for a couple of generations. And if you look at um, uh, the... Uh, current account deficit relative to GDP, um, it's really not that uh, extraordinary. It's 2.6% right now, and that's up from 2.5%. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the incredible output of this economy uh, in goods, and especially, in, of course, in services and foreign demand for services, you know, it offers us or, or gives the U.S. a, a pretty uh, uh, solid cushion um, for continued growth, uh, it'll depend on the consumer right now. We're at a pivot, I think. Uh, we had that, a really abrupt slowing in non-farm payroll in February, only 20,000. Um, and we did have a, a bit of a crack in um, consumer spending, even though it seemed to have improved a little bit in January. And consumer confidence, we had that out yesterday, and that wasn't so uh, terrific. And there, and the and the conference board's assa- samples assessment of the labor market uh, 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 turned a little bit sour. So that's not pointing to um, much improvement uh, for the March employment report. If we do get next week a um, uh, a low reading in the employment report, uh, which is not expected. Um, I mean, that could change everything, and we could be talking about uh, an eventual rate cut, but I think that would be getting ahead of the game. But, um, uh, but you know, Brexit is, is unbelievably such this uh, perplexing uh, risk, and it just doesn't seem to go away, and it just seems to get uh, more and more significant. And it, it could be the make or break for the 2019 economy. Um, so now tell us what, you're, what, what is your hunch uh, at, at what the uh, resolution will be? <laughs> oh, straight in with a hard question, though. Well, I suppose one <laughs> thing, just when we're, since we're just talking about deficits, is interesting. You say, you now, really, well, I suppose when we look at the budget deficit in the states and the current account deficit and the impact upon bond yields and the dollar, I mean, really, it seems to be you know, virtually nothing. And certainly, I guess if we go back sort of 20 years or so when I first started in this business, the combination of a big current account deficit and a big budget deficit was you know, really quite negative for a currency. Um, but in terms of Brexit, now, one of the issues, of course, for the UK is the pound. And the pound's obviously intricately linked to Brexit at the moment. But let's just assume for the moment that this all goes pear-shaped and we end up with no deal. Well, he talked about the state side. I think we said, what, deficit to GDP ratio is only about one po- uh, sorry, 2. 2.6%. 2.6%. 2.6%. Mm-hmm. Well, if we look at the equivalent for the UK, the current account to GDP deficit here is running around about 45 to 5% at the moment. So that's, you know, around pretty serious levels. And it does kind of suggest if we don't have some sort of interest rate environment which is supportive of capital inflows into the UK, you know, this could still be a medium term negative as far as the pound's concerned. So with regards to Brexit, where do we stand now? Um, the obvious question is, I think anyone who pretends to have any idea how this is going to pan out is, you know, is, is talking out the top of their head because no one knows. As we currently stand, indeed, as, as we speak, 
Um, there will be now, as a result of EU, the EU leaders summit last week, we've been given, the UK's been given two Brexit days. So it won't be this Friday as it should have been. But if Messies May can get a, pro a proposal through the UK Parliament, which still seems very unlikely. Indeed, she was supposed to be tried again today, but decided to pull the vote because she didn't, she didn't think she'd get a majority, which is almost certainly true. But if she were to get that through, then Brexit day will be on May the 22nd. And really, that would just leave long enough for the technicalities to be addressed before leaving. Um, if, however, she can't get it through, then under what the EU said at the moment, uh, Brexit day will be on the 12th of April. And at that point, the UK would just have to set out what it intends to do or indeed leave without a deal. Now, the big question at the moment, of course, is can we get any kind of parliamentary majority in favour of any kind of Brexit solution? So as we talk um, on Wari, Wednesday, the 27th, there will be a series of so-called indicative votes going through the, the House of Commons later on this evening with a view to trying to find out exactly what politicians might be prepared to go for. So there'll be a number of different options. We don't actually know what will be on the ballot papers yet, but we're going to see such things as Mrs May's deal, probably uh, leaving the EU without a deal, um, extending um, Article 50 beyond what's currently offered, a close relationship with the EU, um, revoking Article 50, so binning Brexit altogether. There's probably going to be about half a dozen or so different options upon which the MPs can vote. That is expected to produce some kind of narrowing in terms of where we go this evening and potentially a final vote on the outcome uh, next Monday. Now, what that is going to look like, I really don't know. But it seems to me that realistically, now Parliament is gradually gaining some kind of control over the process and taking it away from the hands of Mrs May, that since Parliament by and large is sort of pro-EU, or at least remaining, uh, I think the odds are in favour of some kind of softer Brexit than we've been looking at for some while. Uh, certainly the idea of a no-deal Brexit seems to be off the cards, though we silly can't rule it out altogether. So it ought to be sort of marginally good news for the pound. Um, now, one other thing I should quickly mention is that there is a meeting taking place today at which Mrs May, as the speculation is, will be announcing a possible departure date for her from her position as Prime Minister. And the bargaining point is that um, one of the problems for a lot of people actually signing off on her deal in UK Parliament is Mrs May. And I think if they can get rid of her, um, they may be prepared to actually support her deal. So she well, will prepare... Well, well, do, do you yep. think the pound uh, would uh, rise on uh, on the announcement? I think I think it was, we talked in the past and we're looking at you know, sort of sterling euro as kind of the benchmark indicator of how things are going as far as the FX market's concerned. Well, as we talked, sterling euro is running at about, what, 1.1750, which is pretty strong in the context of still what is a lot of uncertainty. So I think there is clearly some good news priced into it. But because uncertainty is still so high, I think you know, anything which suggests that we're going to get a deal you know, in the shape that's currently proposed by Mrs May or better still for financial markets, something closer, you know, something deeper, um, a, a deeper relationship with the European Union, then that's going to be taken positively. So I think there's a chance even from these levels that we'll see sterling spike higher. How, how, it, is, the, how is the bond market doing uh, in Europe? You know, we had a huge uh, rush into the bond market in the US on the Fed announcement, uh, winding down uh, quantitative easing. Um, that's going to be uh, 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 raising demand 
ultimately for bonds or, or uh, uh, relative to the Fed's balance sheet, at least. Um, and so how, now how did that, and so we had a sharp decrease in, in rates here um, and, a, and a near inversion in the two and uh, 10 year um, uh, treasury curve. What, 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 is, what, how's the bond market uh, reacting to uh, Brexit and to the U.S. Uh, uh, FOMC? Well, certainly European bonds were delighted by the FOMC's announcement. I think you know, they didn't expect anything too much to come out of that particular meeting. In the end, I think the general view was that, well, the FMC seems perhaps a good deal more dovish than originally expected. So it's prompted a fairly decent rally right across Europe. And that's both in terms of the, sort of, you know, the safe haven, the core members, such as you know, Germany and uh, the typically you know, more peripheral Eurozone countries like Italy. So as we speak on the German benchmark 10 year benchmark Bund is yielding uh, minus 0.04%. So we're back into negative territory here. Now, I think part of this certainly is due to you know, the FOMC and perhaps some reappraisals about... Jeremy, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I have one question or a question regarding emerging markets now. Now that interest rates are, are down and you were talking about a periphery bonds in, in Europe. Do you think that there'll be, uh, you will see stronger demand uh, uh, for, for um, a Spanish, uh, uh, Portuguese uh, debt? Yes, I think certainly we're starting to see that already. I think you know, one of the big worries always for the, you know, the less well-developed economies, be it in Europe or around the West, rest of the world, is the combination of you know, high US interest rates and a strong dollar. Well, it now seems that, you know, from what you're saying, it looks as if US rates perhaps won't be going up, perhaps at all, or certainly not as sharp as originally expected. And the dollar is not overly strong. I mean, it's doing okay, but it's not causing the emerges any problems. So I think we're moving towards the kind of area in which, well, let's look around the world, interest rates are very low. Where can we make any money? So at least if you think about putting your money into, let's say, the Italian BTP, so the benchmark bond market, mm-hmm. we're talking there about you know, yields are around about 2.4% or so, something like that. Um, that still looks pretty attractive compared to the likes of you know, the German the German bond market, which is currently yielding, what, minus 0.4%. So mm-hmm. I think you know, investors have been burnt before, but I think if we do become more confident about not a, a big global recession because then we've got all sorts of problems. But if we're talking about a slowdown in growth and generally low levels of industrialized interest rates, mm-hmm. then yes, investors are going to start looking at much more favorable those countries which give a bigger bang for your buck. How do you, uh, I, uh, and this might be our, our last question, but how do you th- uh, would rank uh, the global central bank um, movement now uh, toward uh, uh, easier uh, conditions were they? Um, it corresponded with. Um, I, it, it seemed to move pretty quickly. The the uh, decline in fourth quarter growth, the general global growth, and then what appears to be perhaps uh, steady but at a lower rate growth growth generally in the first quarter. Do you think that they pivoted uh, too um, on time, or uh, or did they uh, were they too hawkish for too long? Uh, and cause that? How would you how would you rate it? Because it all seems to have been uh, a, a, a common global thread. 
I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I suppose the main thing to say at the moment for a lot of the industrialised central banks, we haven't actually seen any interest rate cuts coming through per se. I know we've seen some out of the likes of uh, the RBI, uh, I'm sorry, the Reserve Bank of India. Well, that could be perhaps uh, put down to politics more than anything else. But we look around more generally for those banks which have you know, they've shifted their sort of their bias rather than on changing rates. So the Bank of England, by all means, still has a tightening bias, but it's extremely loose and contingent upon a favourable Brexit. The ECB is now operating with these downside risks as far as its economic forecasts are concerned, and they've already been revised down anyway. And even those countries, perhaps like Australia and um, New Zealand, which had been doing pretty well, well, Australia now seems to have ruled out another hike in interest rates. And just yesterday, we saw the Reserve Bank of New Zealand dropping its tightening bars uh, in favour of neutrality. So it looks as if, you know, generally speaking, rather than the risk of rather than you know the chance of interest rates going up you know going completely out the water it's very much been ratcheted down to the extent that perhaps the next move could be down but not necessarily so but did they anticipate the economic slowdown were they too slow and um I think it's it's difficult to say. I think you can pick on individual central banks. I think when you look at the, the European central bank, my, my personal feeling, indeed, and we talked about it for a while now, that you have Eurozone economy, which according to the ECB, let's go back a year ago now, um, it started off at the beginning of 2018 on a pretty solid footing. Then we had a slowdown and the expectation from the ECB was it's only temporary second half a year is going to look good. Well, the second half year didn't look good. We saw no bounce back in GDP growth whatsoever. And indeed, from what we know from the sort of the forward-looking indicators, it seems first quarter Eurozone GDP is going to struggle to be much above zero, I suspect, probably about 0.1, on a quarterly basis. So I think it's fair to say that they've been you know, somewhat behind the curve. Um, and perhaps investors haven't been too impressed with that. And that's one of the reasons why we've seen the euro struggling. But some of the other central banks, I think, indeed, I think we're talking about it last week or the week before, there appears to have been a lot of statistical noise within the data themselves, which has made mm. it quite hard to determine, well, is this a proper slowdown? Or is it the case if we start pulling the trigger now, we've moved too early? So I think, you know, being a central banker and making policy is never going to be that easy. I mm -hmm. think at least they appear to be re reacting. Perhaps they should have done more. I mean, certainly, let's say from your side, if mm -hmm. we see the U.S. slowing really sharply now, then you know, the global economy is going to have some big problems. Well, we can't forget that the just it was December that the Fed raised rates. It, it yeah. hasn't been that long, you know. Oh, so and the now turnaround there has been remarkably quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, on that note, um, I guess we should probably get somewhere towards finishing. Um, I think someone said that today was our 151st podcast. Wow. So to anyone out there in podcast land who's managed to sit through all this little lot, congratulations mm -hmm. on the stamina. Do try mm -hmm. bottling it because you can make a fortune. <laughs> um, anyway, Mark and myself will be back for number 152 next week. Thanks for listening. In response to regulatory requirements under MIFID 2, Econoday has launched the first and only third-party sovereign debt auction database that provides pre- and post-trade transparency. Our machine-readable database tracks historical and immediate auction data of 10 countries, averaging roughly 1.7 trillion euros spread over 700 auctions each year. Our specialists cover cross-country comparisons of rates, spreads, coverage and volumes in trading decisions. Go to www.econoday.com and follow at Econoday on Twitter to learn more.